Welcome to the Mass Bar B Podcast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Bar Association. It's available free to members of the bar as well as the public. We feature lively discussions about important legal developments, interesting stories about NBA members, and helpful practical information about the law that matters to all of us. Hello, I'm your host, Jordan Rich. The Mass Bar Association's Clemency Task Force is a coalition of prosecutors, defense attorneys, a former Supreme Judicial Court Justice, the policy director of Jane Doe Incorporated, Massachusetts Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault, plus an assistant attorney general, a vice president of the Massachusetts Black Lawyers Association, and other experts on clemency. The subject on the podcast today is a move to reform clemency here in Massachusetts. What changes are needed and why? So joining me are three task force members, including retired Supreme Judicial Court Justice Robert Cordy and two attorneys, Sabrina E. Bonanno, task force co-chair, and attorney Patricia DeJunius, also a member of the task force. First, let's outline the mission of the MBA task force, Sabrina, and what you hope to accomplish. We were asked to review clemency in Massachusetts, and we took a look at how clemency has been working um, over the past several years since Governor Baker has been in office, as well as how it worked prior to him being in office. We looked at how hearings have been conducted, and for the most part, there's only been one hearing since Governor Baker took office. So we reviewed his guidelines, and we discussed based on all the new information we know as far as about racial injustice in the system, about youthful offenders and brain development, about how the elderly population in prison reviewed all these different factors to try to revamp the guidelines and Mm -hmm. see how we can bring them into what our, our current understanding of recidivism is in Massachusetts and how we could possibly have more people released based on what we now know about different people, their offenses and things of the nature. Patty and and Bob um, have a lot of experience in this area too, and they may want to contribute to that. Well, I'd like to ask uh, the judge a basic question uh, to define clemency, particularly the clemency on the books in Massachusetts for our listeners. Sure. Clemency really consists of two different things. One is the power to pardon which means essentially to forgive a prior offense by simply erasing it. And the other is commutation. And commutation is basically shortening sentences for a good reason. One of the things that uh, every governor does is promulgate executive clemency guidelines, which are then followed by the parole board, which also serves as the board of pardons, which oversees pardons and commutations, or at least hearings for them. It is interesting that the governor, Governor Baker, in his guidelines, notes that clemency and specifically commutations is an integral part of the correctional process intended to serve as a strong motivation for confined persons to utilize available resources for self-development and self-improvement as an incentive, as an incentive for them to become law-abiding citizens and return to society. In other words, the governor recognizes this is an integral element, and that it's really about hope, light at the end of the tunnel. But if you don't have hearings and the process doesn't exist, then there is no hope. And there's another important thing about commutations, though, which I discovered when I was legal counsel to Governor Well back in 1991 and had to oversee this process, 
commutations are also an opportunity to recognize and correct injustices and unfairness and disparities in sentencing. Uh, unfortunately, historically, often based on race. So it has two really important roles to play. Let me go to Patty next for a comment. There are many recommendations that the task force has put forth. Part of the recommendation process has to do with that parole board, that group of individuals, both the makeup, the numbers of them, and more. Give us a little background on what you recommended. So, so, so we looked at the size of the board and the composition of the board, and we're recommending that the size of the board be increased to nine to account for the additional work that's going to be required in order for these pending petitions to be processed in a timely manner and and to be dealt with on their merits. We also want to have a broader array of backgrounds of board members. We would like to see a formerly incarcerated person on there and a, a broader swath of people, not just with strong law enforcement backgrounds, but criminal defense, civil rights, uh, mental health, and, and what this does is it allows decisions to be made by people with different worldviews that are influenced by their backgrounds. And so when you've got many different viewpoints, I think that decisions are made in a, a better way and that they would be more likely to be the just result. Give us an example of the kinds of wait times we're talking about, because that is a big part of this suggestion process. Yes, I think there's a huge issue with the wait times um, in Massachusetts. There are people who have filed um, for clemency and they've waited years to even know if they'll get a hearing, waited years to even know if their petition has just been denied outright. Um, so what we're suggesting is that there should be really specific guidelines in place. So once someone files their petition, they should know within 10 weeks and they should be advised by the advisory board of pardons within 10 weeks, Are you is your petition denied or are you going to have a hearing? And if there's a hearing, that should be done within six months so that they can make the recommendation to the governor. And we're also asking that the governor either affirmatively say, yes, I will agree with this clemency or I don't agree with it. Because as of now, once it makes it to the governor Baker's desk, if he doesn't take action after a year, it just dies on his desk. There's no um, requirement that he actually take any action on these petitions. So we just have these people who, as, as Justice Cordy had mentioned, they apply for clemency. They're doing everything right, yet they get zero feedback on whether they will even have a hearing. And we think guidelines really encourage Governor Baker to change the process and to follow those guidelines so that people know that they're not just lost in the system, that they will have a hearing when that hearing is going to be and how the procedure will work moving forward. Unfortunately, I I don't know what uh, Governor Baker's position is right now. We're hopeful that if we can bring attention to this issue, we know there's a lot of community support. Uh, I believe it was a recent study or statistic that said uh, up to 50% of people believe in clemency. They believe in the right to a second chance, depending on if people have earned that right, so to speak. And a lot of these people who are applying for clemency right now, we do think have at least earned the right to have 
a hearing. So unfortunately, I can't say what I think Governor Baker's position is, but we're hopeful that with these guidelines that also explain why we're suggesting it, um, citing statistics, citing different studies that have been done, that that will help move him towards amending the guidelines as they exist. So, so what Sabrina was referencing was a recent poll that was conducted by Data for Progress over four days in April. And I'm happy to read off a percentage of likely voters um, who support clemency in certain situations, if you think that would be of interest. Uh, please do share with us that. 66% of likely voters support use of clemency as a way of achieving racial justice. 68% support it to remedy excessive sentences. 66% for prisoners who did not cause death or serious bodily harm. 73% of likely voters support commutation where the sentences that are being served are longer than what the law would currently allow. 53% of likely voters support commutation for prisoners who have already served 20 plus years. 55% for people who were under age 20 at the time of their offense. 53% for under age 25. 66% of, of likely voters support commutation for prisoners aged 55 and over, 61% for age 50 and over, 67% of likely voters support commutation for prisoners with chronic illnesses that require long-term care. And so I think that clemency has not been used historically in Massachusetts especially, but other states as well for the last couple of decades because of the Willie Horton ad and, and because it was politically unpopular to, to exercise clemency powers. And with this poll shows is that we're swinging in the other direction by quite a bit. And that it's going to become politically unpopular for governors not to exercise this power. Clemency is a tool in the hands of executives who happen to be politicians. As a judge, you don't have the power to grant clemency, but it must be something that you perhaps think about when you're, when you're involved in a trial and perhaps sentencing a defendant. Well, judges don't have the clemency power per se. Uh, much of their sentencing is governed by statutes, often mandatory minimums, life sentences. And clemency really depends on sort of post-conviction conduct, whether it's a pardon. What have you done to demonstrate that you'll be a great citizen, a good citizen? Or commutations. What have you done while incarcerated that demonstrates that you will, again, be a good, productive citizen, will not commit other crimes, and are worthy of coming back into our society. So a judge doesn't really have that much perspective. Uh, obviously, the judge listens carefully to the good things about the individual, maybe the challenges the individual has faced during his or her life. Of course, that all takes place at sort of the time shortly after the crime. But we're really looking down the road when the system has already worked its well on people and will there be another opportunity? And how will that opportunity work? And will it be real? Um, and I just, just come to believe that this is such an important process. Governors, generally speaking, this is a burden, political and otherwise, but it really is an opportunity. Could we cite an example, whether it be a current case or a previous one? You mentioned a case that you're working on now. A case that we're working on, I'm working on with Patty, and I'll let her speak to this if she would like to, about the qualities that in that case, they could jump off the page in terms of um, a perfect case for Clemens. Patty? 
So I represent a gentleman named William Allen, along with uh, Bob Cordy and Chris McDonald. And William is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. He is kind. He is thoughtful. He goes out of his way every day, and he has for decades, to, to make the lives of the people around him better, including and especially prisoners who are picked on by other prisoners who are beat up. Um, we've got letters from uh, DOC employees, Department of Corrections employees, attesting to the fact that they feel safe when he's around, that he um, kind of de-escalates situations just by being present. Uh, he is in a program called the Companion Program, where he spends a, a lot of time every week one-on-one -on -one with uh, prisoners with mental illness. And he does everything from them, from taking care of them physically down to the, the most intimate details to providing them mentorship and opportunities, you know, to, to participate in things they would not otherwise be able to. He has thrived in that program. He's done so well that he's been accepted into a peer specialist training program. Uh, there are six prisoners and, and 20 some odd uh, people who are not in prison participating. It's because of him and, and his colleagues in the companion program that that uh, peer support specialist training has been brought to the Department of Corrections. When he's certified, he'll be able to find a job um, on the outside. He'll have that certification necessary. If, if I might add, that's really important stuff about William Allen as a person, an individual, what he's done to try to position himself to come back to society and do well. But the facts of the case are sort of classic. He was convicted of first-degree felony murder. He got talked into participating in a robbery of a drug dealer, alleged drug dealer. He did not commit the murder. The other person who talked him into it actually got into a fight and eventually killed the other the drug dealer, the alleged drug dealer. Um, and so, and he was young. He was 20, but mentally probably not even 20. And the killer was offered, you know, plead a second-degree murder. He pled guilty parole after 15 years, he's out. Uh, William didn't kill anybody. And he said, I didn't kill anybody. So he went to trial and he was convicted of first degree felony murder for having participated in a felony in which someone was murdered and got life without the possibility of parole. So he's been in prison for 26, 27 years. The killer got out 12 years ago. And, and I have to ask only because I don't think it was mentioned, is he a, a person of color? Okay. Yes, he is. Right. You're looking at this as a systemic problem over the years that is fixable. Am I right? I do think that's why we have clemency. Clemency is sort of a fail safe for the governor through his uh, board of pardons to review cases where justice may not have been done back then. Or maybe over the course of time, somebody has shown that they should be released back into the community by the works they've done while in prison, as um, Patty mentioned about Mr. Allen. So I, I do think it's important that we remember that that is really what the clemency tool is for. It's to remedy the injustices, whether it was injustice due to race at the time, whether it was an injustice due to the person who actually committed the killing, got less time than the person who chose to exercise the right to go to trial, or maybe at the time the person was 18 years old. And as we all know now, brain development for someone who is 18 years old is far different from somebody who's in their mid-30s. And clemency can be used to remedy those injustices. 
we know now after a recent Harvard study that racial injustice permeates our criminal prosecution system here in Massachusetts. We're in fact the worst in the country when it comes to the disparity between rates of incarceration for white people and Latinx. And we're 13th worst for black people versus white people. It's impossible to prove racial bias or near impossible to prove racial bias in any one particular case. And that's why it's important to, to have this as a tool, one of many, to correct past injustices that we didn't realize were being committed on our watch. And so it's a tool to combat injustice that is not easily identifiable. Um, and so we think that it could be very useful towards righting some of those past wrongs. I was going to bring up the subject of mental illness. And according to the Globe story that I was quoting from, there's one opening on the parole panel. Uh, the hope is what, that the governor would appoint someone who might have some expertise in the area of mental health? Is that what we're looking at? Based on the current composition, yes. Okay. Somebody referred to this as the back end of the judicial system. And sometimes we think of anything in the end as not as important as the beginning. But each of you maybe reflect on the overall mission, why you think clemency and a new look at it is so important. We'll start with you, Patty. I think it's important to take a look at this for a number of reasons. One is fairness. Um, if prisoners are being told this is an integral part of the process and the process isn't being followed, what you're doing is you're taking away hope from people who found it. If you give more people who are serving very long sentences, including life without parole, if you give them hope, it's going to decrease the rate of suicides. We're the fourth highest in the country in terms of prisoner suicides. It's going to make for safer prisons because more prisoners are going to have something to strive towards, to work towards. And that means that they're going to really adjust their behavior and their conduct accordingly. So it's giving hope to the formerly hopeless. It's saving lives and it's making prisons safer for everyone, including correction officers and those who work for the Department of Corrections. Clemency is an integral part of our system. It is an underutilized tool that can bring a lot of, I think, justice to light, that it gives the governor in whichever state the governor sits in the opportunity to have a board sit and review people's cases, to look for an injustice that was done at the time, or to look at how somebody has improved and to give them a second chance. A lot of times people will exhaust their remedies through appeal and then there's no other option for them. But clemency provides them the opportunity to continue to improve upon their lives. As Patty said, it gives people hope. And I think when you're in prison, having hope is, is crucial. That's why you get up in the morning. That's why the actions you take every day are based on the hope that someday you may get freedom. You may get out. Um, it, it keeps people, as Patty said, cooperative, it makes prison safer. And I think clemency for that reason should be a tool that we use and that governors should not be as afraid of the political ramifications, but actually see people as they are. People are in prison right now and they're human beings. They have family, they have friends. A lot of times they have community support and clemency allows them to show everything they've done while in custody and how they can become productive members of society when they get out. Um, they can provide guidance 
to people to keep them from going down the same path that they went down. They can inspire members of their community to keep their lives on the same track. And I think Clemensheet should be used for those reasons. And certainly as an incentive, as you point out so clearly, you've been a judge a long time. You've been in the legal system a long time. I think it surprises people to hear the stats on Massachusetts. Your comment. Surprises me as well. I was so pleased that Justice Gantz uh, arranged for Harvard to study the impact of race because it it's for example, it just reinforces what you sort of sort of know and feel, but you can't really put your arms around it. I think that uh, that was a very important um, piece. I've worked with systems around the world. I've had the good fortune to do that. And I've worked as a public defender, state prosecutor, federal prosecutor, legal counsel to the governor, judge. I've had wonderful opportunities And I know our system is good, but I also know it's not perfect. And this is such an important opportunity tool for a governor to recognize, acknowledge, and correct the imperfections in our system. And I have come to see it used so well in other countries and in other states to that end. And I'm hopeful that public support and understanding of this will help the governor get through this and degree. Does anybody have a sense of the timeline as to what the next steps are, when we're going to hear anything? William Allen has his commutation hearing coming up on June 15th. Um, As of right now, uh, that's the only hearing that we know of that's been granted. So, you know, Mr. Kuntz's unanimous approval by the parole board has been sitting on, on Governor Baker's desk for several months now. So there's been some movement, but not much, I would say. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jordan. I I meant to mention we've got the sort of the Harvard study about the impact of race in our system of justice. But it takes me back to 1991 and the Framingham Eight, where the role of domestic violence in the lives of women, particularly women who have been sentenced to prison for killing their abusers, really came to the forefront and began. And we began to grapple with it. And we realized that the system was not taking that into account. And here was an opportunity for the governor to step up and to act with this tool to sort of underscore how important this was at the time. So, you know, we learn new things and we have an opportunity to correct injustices. My thanks to members of the Mass Bar Association's Clemency Task Force for joining us to talk about clemency reform in Massachusetts, what changes are needed and why. You've been listening to the Mass Bar Beat Podcast, available free at massbar.org and downloadable on most popular podcast platforms, including Apple, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and more. Now, if you're a consumer in need of legal help, contact the Mass Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service. Call 866-627-7577. Again, that's 866-627-7577. Or visit masslawhelp.com. Let us connect you to a lawyer today. Mass Bar Beat is produced by the Massachusetts Bar Association, and we invite you to subscribe so you'll never miss a beat. This is Jordan Rich. Thank you for listening.